In this episode, I am joined by Dr. Nida Chenak-Tang and Justin von Boydash. Dr. Nida and Justin discuss the esoteric Dzogchen practices of Trekjo and Tugyal and comment on their application to inner emotional disturbance and to times of external conflict and war. Dr. Nida and Justin extensively discuss the mysterious practice of dark retreat, in which the retreatant seals himself in complete darkness for days or weeks at a time, triggering powerful hallucinations which can be worked with using special techniques for spiritual advancement. Dr. Nida and Justin discuss the history of dark retreat, compare the differences in the various schools of its practice, warn of its dangers in terms of psychosis, and consider the potential that dark retreat offers for attaining Buddhist enlightenment. So without further ado, Dr. Nida Chenak-Tang and Justin Von Boydash. Dr. Nida Chenak-Tang and Justin Van Boydash, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be talking with both of you at the same time, and you both are in the same place. That's right. We are at Pirlander Farms in LA. Yes, and I understand, Dr. Nida, you have just returned from leading a pilgrimage in Bhutan with Ian Baker, previous guest of this podcast, and in fact, a dialogue partner of yours on this podcast. And I understand, Justin, you've just finished leading a week's trekchard retreat there at Pureland Farms. That's right. That's right. It's associated with Dr. Nita's uh, commentary on Yutuk's uh, Ati Yoga cycle. Um, the commentary is called uh, Weapon of Light, uh, Mirror of Light, I'm sorry. Um, and we just finished, yeah, seven-day trekchard retreat as uh, part of the coming to the end of the cycle of practice and study. Very cool. I'm curious about Trek Choda, if you might say so, a little something about that. And I'm also curious, Dr. Nita, about your, about your time in Bhutan. Well, Genla, why don't you start with Bhutan? I think everybody... Um, yeah, the Bhutan trip was very nice. And uh, <clears throat> I think, yeah, today there are many uh, Buddhist practitioners, especially Vajra, Vajrayana practitioners, you know. So Bhutan is officially saying the only or the main Vajrayana country in the world now. And uh, so I think it's the, the unique, uh, uh, how do you call it, geomantic energy, you know, the, the blessing of the land. As Pamasambhava said, in the past, great masters, they blessed the land. And uh, now the land can bless the, the people. So, you know, so I think that really makes sense. You know, you can really feel the presence of uh, great uh, masters and, uh, you know, especially the Guru Bama Sambhava, Yeshe Tsojil, Mon Motashi Chinjin. And also you really feel like they are, they are a blessing, you know, so... Once you are there, you felt their blessing is inseparable, inseparable from you, right? Which is called the Vajra state. Yeah, was great. Yeah, yeah. I had the pleasure to be with Dr. Nidia last year on the pilgrimage that 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 happened in Bhutan. It was it was incredible, and it it really is. Uh, you had more thoughts or less thoughts? I had less thoughts, <laughs> <laughs> which, which was good for my practice of trekja. Um, 
So the practice of trekcha, in one way of, of kind of thinking about it, maybe you could say Atta Yoga has two cycles or two aspects, uh, main aspects. One is trekcha and one is togal. Um, but togal doesn't really make sense unless there's a good grounding in understanding the nature of mind and the nature of rikpa. And trekcha is, is really the kind of... Uh, way of creating a nice stable foundation to be able to uh, have a good relationship to the open dynamic nature of awareness. And um, with that, if one is really stable in their practice, then togal practices uh, really help the practitioner to be able to, um, I guess you could say, um, stabilize and enhance that experience so that the rigpa state becomes uh, increasingly clear and one's confidence becomes uh, really strong in this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the Tibetan word of chakchet, uh, you know, chak means something hard, right? Something solid and something hard. And this uh, hardness, the solid things, we can find like in the our material world, like maybe the diamond is the hardest one, right? And then we have metals like iron and then rocks and there are many hard uh, objects. So similar way, we have this uh, hardness in our mind, right? So the hardness in the mind is the fixation. You know, we have so much this kind of fixations, right? And once we are extra fixed on something actually that's becoming a blockage internally it can be emotional blockage or mental blockage and that's uh, how do you say stopping us you know from the flexibility or opening and so on so chot means cutting through or free from that kind of uh, solidness or the hardness right so, you know, many people are having, for example, when you have a doubt, you are so much fixed on the doubt. Once there's an overfixation of the doubt, and then you get stuck with the doubt, right? And so, like when the <clears throat> when we talk in the Madhyamika tradition, you know, Madhyamika, why are they talking so much about the debate, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the Dharma view, debating Dharma views. So because today we have so many fixations about our views and our ideas and so on, but it's good you debate that, right? Through the debating or or you understand the new views or you accept the other views or you let go your own views, right? So then you become more flexible. So I think this structure we can find in the Madhyamika and many different uh, traditions too, you know. And also maybe vipassana, when you scan your mind, you try to you scan to feel your emotions or feelings or sensations, these things. So if you are able to scan it well, then you don't get stuck with this fixation, right? So I, I think that's all a kind of similar, you know, all meditations are talking the same way. But I think this Tibetan word, the tachol, I like it personally because it goes into the heart, right? Mm -hmm. So what is our mental, emotional problem? That's the fixation. And then what we need to do is we need to free from that fixation. It's like there is a blockage and we have to unblock that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is my thing. You know, I'm thinking more and more. Uh, maybe the more Dharma teachings we should use or the original Sanskrit Sanskrit words or Tibetan words. And if we have this understanding of the original words, then the translation. You know, maybe how do you translate Chakcha? Uh, so when I think of it, I think of, you know, they say cutting through hardness, but it's really like the hardness of conceptual thinking, of labeling, of, um, like you say, ideas, mm -hmm. and how all of this makes us really um, individual. You're you, I'm me, mm -hmm. let's fight. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but Chekcha is really, like you say, this this way of resting past Resting out of the hardness. Mm -hmm. the hardness. So, Steve, how do you translate that? Cutting through the hardness, or what is your understanding about that? If you have a difficulty of emotion, you got stuck there, you want to free yourself from that, how do you translate that? Well, I'm not familiar personally with the practice, but I think as, as uh, Lama Justin said, cutting through hardness or sometimes cutting through solidity, it's it's often translated like that. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, yeah, you. I'm sure, you know, you said you, you're not uh, familiar with this practice, I, but I think you know this practice, right? Because in an emotional way, we all have emotional blockages, you know, we have to come over through those blockages. And, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I want to ask you back the questions. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I have this kind of new idea, you know. Uh, you know, when we talk about the translators, right, they're great translators in the past, and today they're also amazing good translators. And every translators, you know, they come up with good ideas and they try their best to yeah. translate and in a precise way, you know. So, of course, maybe one person's very precise translation works maybe for a certain group of people, but may not, maybe not for everyone, you know. So therefore, yeah, I'm really now more and more coming up the idea of, uh, you know, we explain the, the word by word, and then how to really you translate it's up to you, you know. Yeah. So this is my kind of new way of approach, you know, I'm not disrespecting the translators they're great translators but some translators they become very poetic yeah some of them they become very technical and some of them they want to be very precise so especially if we talk about uh, Churchill and you know Zopa Chimbo, mm -hmm. because if you read the original words from Long Chimba you know it's so fluid right yes. yeah. it's like the oxygen it's everywhere you know we are inhaling. We even don't realize we are inhaling. So his words and teachings are like that. It's kind of like pervasive or like a river is flowing, like a rain is pouring down. You know, it's kind of, there's lots of natural flow in Tibetan. Mm -hmm. And I know my English has a limitation, but when I try to read in English, then, you know, then I get the hardness. <laughs> I get hardness. But then I understand also some translators, they kind of use that kind of very precision, some words. You know, some of them, they have so much fixations about uh, how to sound it nice, how to make it more fluid, you know. Then at the end, I have this feeling of we kind of get lost in the translations. Yeah. You know? 
So that's why also yesterday we were talking about the Rigpa. I thought best translation Rigpa is come from you, you know. Yeah. Of course, whatever you think Rigpa is good, and that's your own starting point, right? right? Well, it's like Trekcha and Rigpa as as a medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's a little different. The way they suffer is a little different. Yes, yes. The way their mind gets stuck is a little different. And so everybody needs to be able to find their right, mm -hmm. that right balance. Yeah, yeah. 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 So when you free your difficult emotions, how do you call that? What do I do to free difficult emotions? Are you really asking me that question? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think um, one can either go in or out. One can either broaden the context of one's awareness, if you like. That works quite well, going big or going in and merging in a sense or seeing through the uh, experience of the emotional reaction and uh, then it becomes uh, almost quite often freed from its uh, particular emotional valence becomes joyous or uh, humorous often difficult to hold on to difficult to stay fixed to Mm -hmm. uh, that's that will be my best attempt, but I'm not a I'm no talk jumper. I must. No, that's good. Say. You are actually you are. You see the turtle. The, your translation become one page. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so for some people can be one word. For some people can be one page. For many people can be hundred pages. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right, the same word when we talk about Buddhism, you know, sometimes we are talking about Buddhism, you know, maybe we are out of that word of Buddha. So, right, Buddhism is more talking about uh, awakening, awakened state. So anyway, never mind. Sorry for asking you difficult questions. You are the interviewer. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for giving poor answers. But as you say, I'm better on the question side. So, when you talk about this uh, treacher and this idea of cutting through fixedness or solidness or however we might translate it, I can't help but think of the time that we're living in at this point. We're recording this in November 2023. And this is right around the time when conflict in the Middle East, Palestine, has uh, occurred. And uh, when people listen to this at another time in the future, no doubt conflict will be happening somewhere too. And one thing that seems to be happening with this conflict is a great pressure to take sides. Are you on this side or that, or that side? What would you say, is Trekshod relevant in a situation like that? Do you have anything you could say to the situation in the Middle East and the way it's rippling out? And the way people are reacting to it is that the sort of subject that exactly, might be relevant. That's exactly the human ideas and the human political views and the human divided nationalistic views, right? So all these things is solidified, you know, become so so hard, you know, so becoming like a rock, and then two rocks are coming together, they clash. 
that's exact. You know, we can understand in the context of the context of the turtle. So if there are two rocks rolling together, they clash and uh, both get damaged and, you know, both get broken, right? This is the exactly what happened with war. Mm -hmm. And there are two group of people, they are fighting. They both have their own reasons and they are all historical views, but at the end, there's a different views. And both sides is so solidified, you know? It's, for us, it's difficult to, to, to analyze. It takes time to judging them. But the really a problem is this the clash between two big rocks. Mm. But then if you think if these rocks are becoming rivers, right? Two rivers are clashing together, what happens? They union together, they join together, they become a stronger river, right? So I think in, in the I don't know, this metaphor is uh, clear or not. That's exactly what uh, I think about in general our all human mm -hmm. uh, conflict, you know. Right, this two the conflict between two countries or two nationalities. This the nature is the same. The conflict between two people, right? And a very small scale is two people's fight. In a large scale, is becoming a fight of two countries. Yeah. And then, of course, in the large scale, is many people are suffering, right? Get killed and you know murdered and die and lost, and creating so many. Um, so many sufferings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the part of uh, the United States that I live in, um, Brooklyn, New York, uh, New York City has the largest Jewish population outside of Israel. And the neighborhood I live in has one of the largest Palestinian populations inside the United States. And you see uh, now in particular, um, in all of these protests shutting down different parts of the city. And people, as you say, Steve, people are feeling i mean they're not even being they're not even feeling it people are telling everybody pick a side pick a side and like dr nita says uh, all this kind of bifurcation is only going to create more conflict more conflict and there's so much fear as well you can't possibly believe the other side is right you have to believe what i you know what i think or what i say and we see this in universities now where people you know, are being silenced in, in sometimes even just having a view that there should be a ceasefire. I kind of feel like Trekcha was almost made for these times, almost like Guru Rinpoche was like, you know, obviously there's been valence and, you know, an important uh, aspect to it throughout time. But now for all of these problems we see, whether it's what's happening in the Middle East or what's happening in uh, Ukraine or the environmental crisis, these ideas where I am a human, I get to do whatever I want to nature. You know, that's also a binary. All of these binaries are causing these problems. And it might be that one of the best ways to solve some of these problems is to be able to cut through these ideas, right? Cut through the sense of myself as a solid, you know, person who has right to this, this land that you don't have, or who can do this to the land uh, because I feel like it. And that is, um, it's it's interesting teaching Trekcha because it seems like more and more people are becoming interested in it because they can feel the power of the release. Mm -hmm. now, when they can uh, release some of the things that they're really attached to or struggling with, they can feel spaciousness and they feel it in their body. 
And this is something that I've really noticed a lot of people saying, and and it, and it really does become this uh, this kind of medicine, medicine for the mind, but also, I think a medicine that can help transform the way we relate to one another. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dr. Nita was talking yesterday at the on the last day of the retreat about meditation as medicine, and I still remember I was here with Dr. Nita. Um, I think. Uh, I don't know, maybe two years ago or a year and a half ago, and he was telling, I think you're telling me about Drakpa Nongshe and how he, when he started to study with a, uh, I think it was, it was either Soa Rigpa or with a teacher who was a Soa Rigpa teacher, how his meditation changed. And I feel like this has, has been helping me to be able to understand that it's not all only about the mind, it's about, you know, the entirety of being, including the way we are in the world, the way we think about the world, the way we're in harmony or disharmony with the world. So I, I think of it as a, as a very pr profound uh, medicine. Very penetrative medicine. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, the heart of the head. <laughs> it penetrates from body to energy to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think about meditation as medicine? Yeah, of course. Uh, that is the. This is exact uh, original Buddhist view. The eighty-four thousand klesas yeah. and the eighty-four thousand dharmas, right? Yeah. So klesas are the disease and dharmas are medicines. Yeah. So that's I think original Buddha's view. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And also, so it's it's interesting, uh, Steve. You are asking. The question, we are talking about the Churchill and Zoppa Chamber. You are bringing the political, how do you say, the current political conflict, you know, in this interview, right? So many people, if you ask these things, oh, it's nothing to do with us, right? It's something happening in the Middle East. It's something happening in Ukraine, in Russia. It's like we are out of these problems, right? So I think then sometimes also people have this kind of, okay, we are Buddhist and we are the special practitioners and, you know, we cannot do anything. We don't want to interact and this and that. Of course, political views, there's always uh, complications. And myself, I'm not interested in any political conflict and views, this and that. But unfortunately, the political can you know political situation is becoming a condition of our daily life you know we are conditioned by the politics uh, decisions and views and controls and conditions and so on so i think to make dharma it's a more accessible you know or more make it part of our daily life i think to bringing the our own experiences, Dharma experiences, and also bringing into our life and using this path to try to understand what is happening in the world, you know, and uh, about the fight, about conflict, and how, you know, people are out of the, you know, out of the control of their own emotions, right? Like accumulation, if you think of the Israel and Palestinians, uh, the conflict is uh, accumulation of thousands of years of emotions, right? Mm -hmm. The hatred, the anger, and the rage. It's not just happened because of, uh, 
you know, past the 10 years problem, 20 years problem, or 100 year problem. It's it's accumulation of thousands of years of this kind of uh, human emotional accumulation. And so people are unable to work, how to process, how to purge, how to purify, how to liberate from the emotions, right? The, there was a lack of this kind of method, how to free yourself from these emotional accumulations and then becoming huge accumulations of blockages, you know, right? Then, of course, like generation to generation accumulated and the rage and anger is so powerful, so explosive. So I think this is exactly like emotionally what happened, right? But if maybe those people, especially the people involved in the higher powers, you know, if they if they are more trained in touch it, <laughs> yes, yes. if they have more yes. like a little bit a gentle, softer view, you know, about uh, instead of uh, having a very strong nationalistic views, national identities, if they focus more on the the humanness, I think maybe the conflicts are much softer, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, we don't really value being soft these days in the world. Very soft, a little passive, gentle, receptive. Mm -hmm. Every day now. And also, you know, as you said, we have to take the part, you know, or your friend or your enemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pick pick a side. Mm -hmm. Pick a side. And you know, the person who doesn't pick a side sometimes isn't trusted. You know, and I think that this is also just, it just, it speaks to the complexity, but I think it also speaks to the necessity, right? That this is a, a, in one way, you know, Ati Yoga and Trekcha is, is a very powerful medicine. And it's also a very personal, uh, you know, it's a medicine that solves a very personal problem. Like what my blockage is, what my hardness is. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can broadly speak about it, but how it manifests is very unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything can be get softened, you know. Yes. <laughs> I can understand really this uh, fixation of on, how do you say, nationalism, mm -hmm. nationalistic, you know. When I grew up in Tibet and, you know, the, I can understand all the emotions, how you accumulate, you know how you build up and how you are kind of, how you grew up in your environment and your culture and your tradition and how much you feel the outer pressures and conditions. I can understand these things, you know. And then, you know, you need to pick up your side and you have to fight with somebody this. But I think once you are kind of really trained, when you see things in a different way, especially you know, our own emotions and how we are making, solidifying ourselves. And I think with the practice, there's always a way to really make it uh, softer and gentle and passive, you know. So maybe those are the, uh, the, the men are human steps that we make ourselves uh, peaceful. Yeah. And we can achieve, uh, I think it's unconditional peace, right? Internal peace. So once we are able to build this kind of uh, individual internal peace, and then when we come as a group, 
and then we have this collective peace and then both sides they have collective this inner peace and then to meeting another group is becoming two rivers are meeting together it become one river right yeah so therefore i think the the solution is we should spread more teachings more check, more, check, <laughs> more teachings <laughs> and more practices yeah more more hatha yoga mm -hmm. yeah 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 i'm curious if one side if you like if one person has trekchod has applied this um this softening uh, but one's enemy has not if a country has softened its nationalism but its neighbor has not is there a danger of the softened one being at the mercy of the, shall we say, less enlightened, harder neighbor. Everything has a price, right? If you are stay solid and conflict fight has a price. If you become soft, you accept what happens to you. It has a price too. But end of day, I think both becoming peaceful both are becoming a river. That's the best solution. Mm -hmm. But at least one side is a river, one side is a rock. You know, throwing the rocks in the river, yeah. right? Throwing so many rocks in the river, it may be it sends the river is blocked or damaged. The river can never stop. You yeah. know, I think that's also our human nature. If you are so strong, so tolerant, you are able to accept. And really, the, your final goal is the long-lasting. You know kind of uh, peace or generations of peace mm. peace if one side is becoming the river receiving other sides the rocks mm. and in a way maybe the river is kind of uh, how do you say blocked or interrupted this and that but in a long term still a giant river with the many rocks rocky river how yeah. do you call it <laughs> rapids yeah like yeah like this but then I think because of this part of the rivers of patient and this kind of energy, gentleness is so powerful. Mm. The other sides, maybe the rocks, uh, the other generations are becoming a river too. So I can say that in a kind of metaphoric way, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I could be wrong about this, but the way I remember, you know, Ashoka's story, how he came to Dharma was he had been an emperor and he fought this brutal war against uh, the neighboring kingdom, uh, the Kalinga. And all of these people were killed, you know, and the story of him wandering through the battlefield and he won, but he saw what happened. He saw all of the death. He saw all of the destruction and this changed his heart. And we see the same kind of thing in um, nonviolent non protest uh, response to things so civil rights movement in the united states or in south africa where the fluid side is able to be fluid and is not aggressive and the aggressor uh, becomes more aggressive and more aggressive and more aggressive and this causes its own people to see how wrong their actions are mm -hmm. so sometimes even with our own anger we can become more and more and more angry more angry more angry 
but then we will notice some moment where we've gone too far, you know? So I think that the, the, I understand the fear of if we get, if one side gets too passive or too expansive or too, too much like a river, what is the other side going to do? And like you say, Dr. Nita, it will throw rocks and throw rocks and throw rocks and until, until it, it itself also dissolves, but it's not a very beautiful process when it, when we're talking about nation states because it means that the aggressor needs to recognize how it has been wrong or its own people say no no we can't do this anymore and you even see this a little bit in russia right where people are like no this is too much this is too much this is too much and you even see this in in you know in this current uh conflict uh you know where you have a lot of um uh people in israel who are calling for ceasefire you know that it's almost like it causes compassion to generate well thank you for sharing your insights and thoughts on that on that subject we originally planned to come here to talk about dark retreat dark retreat you are the one and uh, both of you have discussed Dark Retreat to some extent on this podcast. Justin, we did a quite in-depth episode indeed on your remarkable Dark Retreat uh, experiences under the guidance of Dr. Nida. And following, in fact, I believe, Dr. Nida, your own terma, your own composition of Dark Retreat instructions. And I'd be very curious to ask about that. I wonder, Dr. Nida, if you might... I suppose we start chronologically. If you might say something about your background in in retreat, uh, in dark retreat, that is. You said that dark retreat, you described it as one of the most experiential meditation practices in the Buddhist tradition. Okay, so firstly, you said something, my terma. And so I don't call it my terma, it's my commentary. And so this is my new book, actually, I call it a commentary of uh, Mahamudra and Dokpa Chimbo in Tibetan. So when I was in the retreat, so you, I think you interviewed me after my retreat. So during that and post that retreat, I wrote this uh, commentary about uh, Yuto's uh, Mahamudra and then the essential instruction about Karma Mudra. And uh, then the 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 chapter the Yuto's uh, Dopa Jimbo and uh, also dark retreats so there's a one uh, chapter is about dark retreats so so I wrote it here it's in Tibetan and uh, so here actually I wrote about uh, yeah maybe my experience and I go with a little bit about the book what I wrote here so first I wrote about a general introduction, you know, what is the dark retreat and dark retreat is part of this uh, Dzogpa Chimbo tradition's uh, second part, you know, there's Chachut and then there's Turket. Uh -huh. So Tut means the skull, you know, this skull, the forehead, right? Mm -hmm. Topa is this, you know, the whole skull is called the Topa too, but especially this area, Gat means crossing. You know, so something coming out, crossing out your skull, and then you have the visions and views and so on. 
So that uh, toggle has uh, actually three kinds of toggle. First, we call it the cattail, means the white teaching, you know, white teaching, that the white refers to the light, you know, with a uh, light teaching, toggle, cattail. And then second one is called the moon tail, means the dark teachings. Dark teaching is the dark retreat. And then the other one is called the tatil. Tatil means mixed colors, you know, white and black together. And that is uh, daytime, you have the training with sunlight, and the night you do the practice with moonlight or butter lamp. Traditionally, it's butter lamp, but now we can use even the, the light, you know, the light is very good. And uh, so there are three kind of um, traditions or three way of teaching. But normally, uh, first we are introduced to this uh, light teaching, you know, to to practice with the sunlight in the morning, early and late afternoon. So when I was in Lhasa, we received this teaching according to Chuma uh, Nagmo's tradition, Dunjum Tersar, you know. It's called the Turkey Mengaronzo. Mengaronzo is the, um, the lake of the the lake of the instructions, like uh, oral instructions. Mm -hmm. So we received that. We are four people, only four people, and then we get this uh, training every day and evening. We did a lot that one, and then sometimes with the butter lamp and the moonlight. Moonlight is not that easy, you know, because then you have to be as certain point moon like sunlight every morning if the sun is there you can do it right evening too but moonlight because of the moon phases not that easy when you have to wait for close to moon, full moon and after full moon you have good light and practice but butter lamp is quite easy you know so i did uh, that uh, a lot as a basic uh, practice so then in this, my text, actually, first, I'm just talking about that uh, basic introduction, what dark retreat is. And then the second part is the history of the dark retreat. So in the history of dark retreat, actually, it is kind of interesting. Because, uh, yeah, I'm, I still have some questions about the history of dark retreat. What do you care about? Uh, what do you care uh, I'm interested because, um, you know, the most uh, famous dark retreat texts from Nyingma tradition, you know, in the Bombo tradition, they have dark retreat too. That is another big topic <laughs> to discuss, you know, <laughs> who is the first, right? The, the hen or the egg. It's yes. a similar story, you know. Nyingma's uh, doctrine is first or Bombo is the first. There are lots of uh, talks. Yeah. And only the real textual practitioners, they don't talk much. <laughs> but some people with the idea of tuck the hardness and they, uh, they really want to prove that why it's coming from bone or why it's not from bone. There are so many discussions. That part, I didn't want to go there. But then in the Nyingma tradition, the interesting part is uh, the most famous, this uh, dark retreat the text is called... Uh, Probably you know it's called the Dokpa Chimbo Yangti Nakpo Serchinruchi, the single, the golden single syllable. Right? Golden single syllable. Yangti Nakpo. You know, Yangti, do we have Ati? The Ati means a uh, Dokchin, Ati Yoga. And then we have Yangti, 
and then we have jiti you know the t there are three of them and um, especially i think sanjay lingpas uh, the Dzogchen teaching he talks about these three types of t yang t you know ati yang t jiti so this yang t especially referred about uh, dark retreat and so if um, we check this uh, single golden syllable you know the story the, it has uh, two lineages one is this uh, far lineage one is closer lineage and uh, the far lineage coming from the buddha samandabhadra and then vajradhara then vajrasattva then garab dorje then jampalshinyan shri singha then Guru Pamasambhava, Yeshe Tsojil, then Bhimala Mita, Berochana, and then Berochana's hard disciple, Yudra Nyingpo, you know, Yudra Nyingpo, and then Lama Gelong Dorje, Hari Dorje, Sanji Dorje, Kyasan Dorje, Jensen Jabo, Tsunjini. So then it's that long one. And then the short one again is coming from, it, it's a similar, you know, these lineages. But uh, the um, the ones they revealed this therma teaching is therma uh, teaching was in the how do you say um Tonso Rupa. Have you heard about Tonso Rupa? So there are two, the previous Tonso Rupa and the second the Tonso Rupa. You know, Tonso Rupa is the, actually in the Nyingma tradition, he was the king of the dark retreat, right? But according to the date in the uh, lineage, we can see, you know, there's Samandabhadra, <laughs> Vajradhara, and Vajrasattva, all the great Buddhas. And then the human, you know, then there's Pamasambhava, so 7th uh, century, 8th century, you know, all these things, right? But then actually the Therma itself revealed that date Yuto's date, Yuto, you know, Yuto, Yuto the younger here, we have Yuto in the Gombo. It's Yuto's dark retreat was in the 12th century. Mm -hmm. So it, it means that Yuto's dark retreat actually is quite early, you know, than other Therma traditions. So that's why this is uh, for me, historically, I, I thought this is a kind of very interesting, you know. Of course, uh, Yuto's teachings, we call Yuto's teachings in Termas, because he received the teachings from Shirimala Peldentringwa, the Dakini. And uh, sometimes they consider that Dakini same as Mandarawa. Mm. And, um, and then, but also we can find uh, many of the Yuto's teachings, you know, Yuto Ninti is coming from himself, you know. He composed, he wrote the teachings too, right? So I think it's kind of his work and dharma together, mixed together. So that's why I'm really interested in this uh, origin of the Yuto's dark retreat. It might be one of the earliest dark retreat, you know, that's what I'm thinking. So that's why in the historical, when I wrote, I had a kind of insight questions, you know, normally, traditionally, we don't ask these questions, you know, there's a lineage, we do the lineage, uh, mm -hmm. masters, prayers, this. So sometimes it's, it's interesting to look also a little bit in a research style, you know. And I'm saying this because also when we use the word of Nintik, right, the Nintik, the Nintik tradition, you know, the heart essence or heart drop teachings, so now most of the families, we have the Longchen Ningti 
and then we have non-selling and then we have this uh, karma ninti, and then we have um, bima ninti, the ninti yashi, you know, the four nintis and the things. And uh, if we say that bima ninti and bima lamita was eighth century, but historically says he taught these teachings, but later the nintis are uh, revealed as a terma, right, or composed by Longchenpa. But Yuto Yonden Gombo was earlier than Longchenpa, you know. So that's why his way, Yuto's way of representing Zopa Chenpa is a little bit different than Longchenpa. Okay. And uh, so earlier than Longchenpa. And then, um, so that's why actually it, it is kind of interesting. Of course, when since the Longchenpa, the Zopa Chenpa is becoming very popular in Tibet, you know, it's becoming so popular and then so many great masters they taught and also so many tertons that they revealed right but if we yeah if we are kind of honest many termas that they're very similar you know right they, they reveal the similar things again again in different centuries so that's why also when we talk about the nintik tradition it seems a yoto nintik is one of the earliest nintik you know so that I, actually, that's an interesting thing too. Mm -hmm. And then the historical thing, uh, the dark retreat is not only Nyingma, but we have this dark retreat. And also in Kala Chakra Tantra, they have the dark retreat. And Kala Chakra Tantra's dark retreat, the visions, they call it Tongzuk. Uh, Tongzuk means the empty form, right? So this Tongzuk, the empty form is exactly like a vision. Or exactly like uh, the you know the hallucination, but you have a hallucination, you are seeing something, and meanwhile you know also this is just your hallucination, your projection. There's nothing concretely exists, right? So bimzu, bimzu means the real object. This is a bimzu. You know there's an object. It's a tangible, right? It's a tangible, it's a visible, and uh, so that's a bimzu. Is like the object uh, form. But then the empty form, the tongzu means uh, you see something, but it's intangible, right? So it's very similar to the vision or the or the hallucinations. And then Kalachakra Tantra actually talks about this. And with this, Kalachakra Tantra talks also about, uh, yeah, when we talk about this, the visions, then Kalachakra Tantra focuses on the dark retreat, you know. So you do dark retreat, and then you have the visions, and then the visions you know you are you are having visions, right? You have to be lucid. So like Justin is saying, if you don't have the the good uh, foundation of tertiary, um, you know, you do the dark retreat, you have visions, and then you you know you have maybe you get scared and so on. Actually, that was my personal experience, you know. I thought I was uh, not that scared, but then sometimes when our inner deep things come, you know, and especially the things related with your very close uh, people, right, like parents and these things, it sometimes something triggers, you know, right? So that's why this Kalachakra Tantras, this Tungzu, uh, and you understand it's a vision, it's a visionary thing, is not real. But then that also helps us to understand this uh, 
energy can have a form, energy can have a, a color, right? But then, you know, normally we talk so much about energy. So in the Tongzu, is that's the becoming form of the energy or the color of energy, you see that. But then Kala Chakra says, don't follow that. Because if you follow the visions, it's more like, um, it's uh, you follow your hallucination. And it's that's like a kind of sidetrack, you know then you really don't fix on the meditation, okay? So the view of Kala Chakra and the, the Nyingma school's dark retreat a little bit similar, right? No, not similar, a little bit different, the view. One says you have a vision and that's your projection or that's your energy and that's you can call it also your wisdom. But that's also the... Uh, destruction. If you follow the destruction, it will bring you to the wrong path. Mm -hmm. But other one says it's your energy, it's the color and the form. You know, you don't avoid that, and you try to see through. You know, to see the nature and essence of that. Right. So it's like a dream. You know, we talk about lucid dreaming, and one says, "Okay, you see a dream." And in the dream, you know everything is your mental projection. Now you don't follow the dream, right? So you know you have an inner vision, dream visions, and don't follow that. You know you have a vision. If you follow too much in the dream, you get lost in the dream. So that's Kala Chakra's view. But then the Nyingma's view says you see a dream and you become lucid. You know it's your dream. So it's a transformable. You can transform it. You can multiply it. You can purify it and you can use it in a skillful way, you know, because when you use your dream, that's you're using, you're playing with your energy, right? And you are also you, you exercising, you know, your mind and subtle energy and this and that. And through that, you can get liberation and different understanding, you know, about everything about mind and so on. So something like that, you know, Kala Chakra's dark retreat and the Nyingma's dark retreat a little bit different. So my personally, I'm super interested in these two different views about uh, dark retreat because Yoto Nyingti's dark retreat is close to both of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for me, it's really Yoto is saying, actually, it is the same. And he put uh, two traditions putting together. You know, this is the reason why I'm saying like Yuto Ninti is a non-sectarian um, practice is not only we are just saying non-sectarian because uh, it includes everything, but non-sectarian in a very skillful way, because if you do the Yuto's, the dark retreat, <clears throat> you experience that Kala Chakra's explanation and you experience that uh, Guya Samaja doesn't talk about dark retreat, but they talk about uh, how to work with the speech. You know, it's called the uh, isolation of the speech, isolation of the speech, or the working with the, the deep silent uh, speech, something like that. So that part of expression, explanation, and this Yuto's dark retreat, exactly the same, you know. And then, so then the, the most famous uh, 
the dark retreat, what we are practicing now is from Nyingma tradition, right? From Nyingma tradition. So that's, I said, the Tonso Ripa. And then there is one um, coming from Trishi Lingpa, you know, mm -hmm. and that's in the 19th century. So he revealed the second Dharma, or, you know, second Dharma of the, the dark retreat. And so that Trishi Rinpoche's dark retreat actually <clears throat> went to <clears throat> this great yogini, you know, my teacher's teacher, Ani Lochin. Yeah. So my teacher's teacher, and she was the one of the main person who received all teachings from the dark retreat. And then my teacher's teacher, dark retreat becoming one of her main practice, and then she transmitted, you know, uh, her main disciples, including my teacher and so on, you know, my teacher, Aningawa Jensen, the nun. So that's why I, I one part, I, I wrote a short part of the history, you know, historical master of dark retreat, because we don't find much information publicly. I thought that's important, you know. And then I wrote this, um, um, it's called... Um, 10 uh, special characteristics of dark retreat. Okay, so I said one of the most experiential uh, meditation is dark retreat. Actually, it's this is the one of these uh, 10 characteristics. Okay, so I, we don't need to go through one by one. In a very simple way, it says uh, mostly, you know, in the Vajrayana, we visualize ourselves as the deity and we visualize the channels and energy and colors, forms and many things. And actually the dark, dark teaching says, most of the, most of the texts are talking about uh, imaginations and visualizations. And here says, dark retreat is the direct experience, you know, you are not imagining or visualizing and you feel and you experience directly, right? So one is just uh, talking and one is seeing, it's different, right? So for example, he's talking about this, I wrote, uh, um, so this, the explanation, you know, the compared to his other practices and so on. And then the next one is about Mushi uh, Nyamlin, the actual practice. So then the famous practice, the seven steps of the practice can be for seven days. And uh, yeah, can be for seven days. And um, then the, this practice can be for 49 days. So it depends on the, on the uh, practitioners, the base and, you know, the merit and many things. So, or you do the every step in every day, like 24 hours, you finish in seven days, or you do, and we call it the gradual one is the, the one practice for seven days. So seven, seven is for 49 days. You did the first seven days and second 49 days. Yeah, and then and then more, yeah, yeah. But yeah, of first, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but first, yeah, first the, the, the way it relates to the Tumo. This first one. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. So how many times did you do? Five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So do uh, you need the eyeglasses in the dark? No. <laughs> no, no, no. No. What about your teacher for dark retreat? Oh, my teacher, yeah, the dark retreat. Actually, one of my dark retreat is called he's from Amdo, Kardil Kulu. Um, 
yeah, he is. Uh, he has this uh, two dark retreat uh, uh, teachings. We call it the Kamjul and Ujul. Kamjul is the the lineage coming from Eastern Tibet, or you know, from Kamba region. Another one is Ujul, Ujul Utsam in Central Tibet. The teaching coming from the Central Tibet. So he has uh, both these uh, lineages, you know, having uh, both sides. Um we when we say about our teachers or gurus, you know, there are two types of normally we say there are two types of teacher, and you know, the the one teacher gives you empowerment, then give you instructions, and then explains the tantric teachings and so on, right? It's mostly like a, our normal education system, right? You receive empowerment, then you are explained, and then instructions then you practice then slowly you know you you practice and so on and uh, this my teacher the the karjil kulotsang he has this uh, nature of um, this mahasiddha style yeah so we call uh kepeluk kepeluk means the the scholar style right that's you know scholars explain us the tantras and teachings very precisely. And then the Toptoglu, the Mahasiddha style is they give very essential teachings, you know, right? So very often we can see in the Dokchen teaching, many masters that they are giving this uh, Mahasiddha styles. That Mahasiddha style is called the direct uh, Rigpa introduction and so on. And uh, yeah, this my teacher, he was very this uh, Mahasiddha style, you know. Masida style. And uh, when I went to meet him, he was very solid, not 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 much talking and this and that, very impressive. And then later I was really amazed because just uh, one day ago, when I went there, just maybe one day before, his son passed away. <laughs> you know, his son had a car accident or something, this and that. And then somebody, when we are receiving teaching, somebody come and somebody says, oh, I'm sorry, you know, like you are say, say means like you are a son, you know, it's passed away and this and that. Then I was a little bit shocked. I said, like, what? I didn't know these things. I was feeling bad too, you know, I didn't know the pastor lost his son, master lost his son and all the things. And then he said, oh, yeah, in the Dharma practitioner, we we meditate on impermanent every day. He said, this is a part of my practice, you know, everything is impermanent, including hmm. my son and this and that. He says, Dharma is in action, you know, that's what I'm experiencing. And then, of course, he did all his power practice, this and that. So my master was like that. And... Um, when he gave the, and then he told us uh, his uh, his own uh, uh, dark retreat uh, story. Actually, he did for the first one was six months. Mm. He was uh, locked in in a dark room by his master. Mm. It's called the Masida style. <laughs> <laughs> And he said in the first days, you know, he was, uh, maybe he was 15 or 16 years old. He was a young boy. He said he was so bored and he didn't want to come out. 
Now he wanted to come out. He didn't want to stay because literally he felt he was present in the dark, you know. And um, but then later he started to have the visions. He said uh, he was out of the time. He didn't know six months passed already, and so many visions and this and that. After six months, his master asked him to come out. He didn't want to get out. <laughs> he was having so much fun. You know, when he said that later, what I was thinking, I was thinking like 16 years old boy in the dark for six months. And he said all these his visions, you know, like the infinite space and lights and Buddha, this and that. I was thinking maybe for him was like a, six months of video game <laughs> six months of free video game <laughs> he enjoyed so much and he didn't want to come up so i was thinking about that so that's what my master so he yeah the way he how he taught us it's very very different you know right when he was talking about uh rikpa first he criticized about seven treasures of longchimba <laughs> You know, he asked me, do you know the seven treasures of Longchenba, Longchenzudden? So I was a kind of very proud young yogi. <laughs> then I said, ah, oh, yes, you know, I was talking the, oh, Chuyunzo, Sikdunzo, you know, I'm making the list in my head. Yes, I know them. Like, they are the, like, top Dopa Chimbo books, you know, text and this and that. And then he looked at me. He said, they are all poems. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's actually, he shocked me. <laughs> My respect for Longchen, I said, he's the greatest Dzogchen practitioner, how he can be a poet. So in Tibetan, you know, poet means like, they just do blah, blah, right? It doesn't mean nothing. You know, you're artist, you know, this and that. And he said, they're all poems. So I was completely kind of like shocked. And then he gave us instruction of the Rikpa. Yeah, actually, that was one of the most uh, uh, experiential Rikpa transmission for me. Because I think shock works, you know. Right? And also to breaking down my pride. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of my hardness of the seven treasures. They are the top ones, you know. My ego, yes, I know them and, you know, making their list and all the things. I think many things together, you know, when he said they're all poems. And then he, he said, oh, I had uh, seven treasures and the collection of Therma teachings. And he said, I buried all of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so another shock, like we are all talking about... <laughs> library is you know making books and publishing like this he said i buried all my books uh -huh. so in tibetan it's a, you know it's not that a negative way you know terla be means i made them terma it means he sealed them you know he put in the box and he dig the earth and he actually buried right so it's a hidden like the termas terla be and then he said now i'm free from the books so I was actually one young, very kind of craving intellectual things and learning and this and that. I can still see my young age notes, you know, the mm. 
I thought I was not that precise. I was a very precise, very studios student, you know. So yeah, he actually shocked me in a different way. And then the way I think, like I had to remove my mask, you know, the mask of pride and the mask of the, 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 how do you say? the you know the mask of the knowing many things and kind of getting lost and unable to putting them together he removed he emptied my head and then he gave us the rigpa introduction and then the very essential instructions of the dark retreat and so on okay so that's why yeah when he was uh, giving these instructions it's very how do you say it it uh, the the that time and the space is completely transformed you know when when he said there's no text when there are no this and that everything is becoming blank but that kind of blank state it was a daytime but for me that was dark too you know right in the darkness master is manifesting as a vision and vision is this, yeah, actually, that uh, I received many teachings. That one is one of the most experiential teachings. So then I realized the empowerment and teaching and in words all in one, you know, the way how he transmitted. And also, he was saying now, there are so few people are practicing those precious teachings, you know. And then he was uh, giving the example of the the very famous Vajrayana example, the milk of the line, you know, lineness. Have you ever drank lineness milk? Mm -hmm. He said no. Yes. The darker <laughs> retreat. Darker exactly, retreat. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> he drank yes. five times. Five times. And one is for 49 days, and now he's saying no. You <laughs> see, the Lord <laughs> person. So he was telling me that, you know, that, that is not every container can hold the, the milk of the lineness, you know. Yeah. And this is the, the example and this and that. And uh, yeah, it was really amazing. So that's why um, in a way, in an essential way, the way how he transmitted uh, us, the dark retreat is... Uh, it's a very experiential. The teaching itself was really, you know, stripping or emptying completely the mind. And then, what do you say? Is not, uh, he put the rigpa in me, but uh, his experience, you know, the uh, exactly like what the long chamber pointed, something is always there, you know, it cannot be created nor destroyed, right? That like ever present and openness, awareness and so on. And uh, yeah, then during that, you know, we call it uh, the 10 different signs of Zorim and these things. So normally when you go to the dark retreat and then you have the signs and then this and that, that's called the Rimchipa, you know, Rimchipa means the gradual experiences. But when you really meet uh, great teachers like this, we call it the Chikcharpa. Chikcharpa means all in one, right? Empowerment is there, teaching is there, retreat is there, 
and experiences are there. So Chikcherpa, I normally I don't like to say much about the Chikcherpa. It's instant realization. I think maybe to talk too much about the Chikcherpa, maybe you know, people can easy to misunderstand, right? Because this like kind of instant realization, <laughs> you know, instant realization is instant food, right? Faster food. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to have faster food. Yes. Okay, if there's instant liberation, I want that. I don't want others. So I think that's a kind of, uh, um, yeah, it's it's uh, maybe dangerous to say publicly too many things, these things. I don't say much normally, you know. But I know those teachings are, you know, the what really Chikcherba means, the instant means. Actually, Mahamudra, they use this word too, right? Yes. Chikcherba, you know, the instant liberation, they use that word too. There is a Rumi's word, this uh, Islamic poet. Yes. He says, you are not a, a, a drop of the ocean. You know, you are the ocean in a drop. So this I like this his expression. Have you heard that, Steve? I have heard that one. Yes, it's a very beautiful exactly. phrase. Drop of ocean. The whole ocean is in one drop. Actually, the Chikcherba's feeling is like that. Mm. That's why I like Rumi. He is a poet, and he, I, I'm sure he has inside really? realization too. You know, it's a kind of uh, we see ourselves as a drop of the ocean, right? as an individual, this and that. But Chikcherba means the instantly you realizing that a drop of water is the entire ocean or entire universe, you know. So yeah, that's my, one of the most powerful practices. But then of course, um, these experiences you need to put in the practice and to, to stabilize, right? And, and so on. So then I put uh, this uh, practice and then in my book, there's another part then the signs of the uh how do you say the signs of the practices so this uh, gold the golden single word that text talks about what are your signs you know what uh, visions you're supposed to have and explains those things and you had actually that text too no yes yes where did you get that text uh, from some Siddha, from you. You get you, you you sent me. No, the old Becha. Oh, the old Becha. Yes, yes, from Patimopache. <clears throat> and Patimopache was a um he lived in Sikkim. He died in 2007. He was a student of Anibochum. Oh, it's then the same tradition. Same, same. Yeah, when we first met, I showed it to you and you said, yes, Oh, yes, we're yes. we're related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, this, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the same, same tradition. Mm -hmm. Who is that Pating Rinpoche? Pating. Pating. Uh, so ah, this is the one you said, Anilochen's disciple. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Okay, okay. He was in Sikkim, right? He was, yeah, he came to Sikkim in like the in the 19, late 1930s. So he missed the whole Chinese thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then he lived in Sikkim. He lived in Sikkim. And then? And he, but he was from Tibet, and he he. So he was a Nyingma. He was, oh, Kajupa. He was uh, mostly Nyingma, Nyingma, but also practiced Kajupa. Mm -hmm. He he liked to say I practice everything. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he gave you the pecha. Yes. And then he said, "I will." I asked him, "Will you teach me?" And he said, "Yes." Uh, and before everything came together, he passed away. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he passed away? 2007. 2007. And I, I went to go see him. I spent... How old was he? He was in his uh, yeah, 90s. Uh, very, yeah. uh, my teacher, the Anila, she passed away in 2006. She was 92. Yeah. So, so they're similar generation. generation. They probably knew each other because your your teacher was like Anil Lachan's hard. Yes, yes, yes. So she probably knew. Uh, I'm yeah. sure they knew each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So that's interesting. Yeah. With the, Actually, that's our mystical story, yes. journey with Dark Retreat, yes. because he showed me the reason you come to meet me, you want to show right? Because so it's a Tibetan pecha, you know, the, the text. With all the visions. With the, the drawing of all visions of the Dark Retreat. So actually, all this uh, drawing of the Dark Vision retreats, those are the, we call it the Nyam Nyam Takcharimpa. Those are the signs of the Dark Retreat, you know. So the dark retreat is, um, it's a very, how do you say? In a way, it's very systematic, you know, mm-hmm. kind of system. And there's, a, how do you say, the structures and systems. And then according to the your visions, also, you know, you are in what, what level and this and that. So that's why. So in this one of the part, I wrote this, uh, the signs. Yeah. And these signs, it starts with this, uh, the, uh, how do you say? Uh, anyway, the signs. So the many books we have these uh, signs, and uh, then you come to Portland, right? Like, yeah, you had just uh, uh, published uh, Mirror of Light. I asked, you know, uh, would you teach us? And you said, oh, well, you you know, you should come to Portland. Uh, I'll be giving. This is when you were giving teaching. We met in New York. We met at we met at James's place. That's New York. In New York, in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brooklyn, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I came to Portland and you yeah, yeah. took to... mm-hmm. So that's actually interesting. Yeah, it's a journey, right? Yeah. You were born where? Albuquerque, Are you a New York? New Mexico. Are you a Mexican? New New Mexico. <laughs> New Mexico. <laughs> a New Mexico. New Mexico, yeah. New Mexico. <laughs> New Mexico. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was born in New Mexico, then he traveled to the Sikkim, and then he received this one of original Pecha, you know, the text. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I was born in Amdo, and I went to Lhasa, <laughs> received the teachings, and then this uh, Togel's instructions, and then the dark retreat, I went back to Amdo and this and that. And then, yeah, when we met, actually, he said that his teacher was the Anilochin's um, disciple. I said, oh, my teacher is only different is your teacher was a man, monk? Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Monk or yogi? Uh, more yogi. More yogi, okay. Just like more Mark, yogi. but act like yogi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And my teacher was a nun, you know. So then we, our teachers, teachers are the same. Yeah. And then I finished the mirror of light. I said, oh, it's good we talk about this. So I, actually, that was a very strong karmic connection. It's a good yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the story. Yes. And so, yeah, that's the, actually, we're talking about the signs. Our connection is the, connected by the books, mm-hmm. you know, about the drawing of the signs, right? Yeah. This, and then also, do you remember, we found the one in Mongolia, Christiana, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, 
I think I, I need to travel yeah, more. Pictures. When you travel more, you have more miraculous stories. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're in Mongolia, and this Mongolian, the museum, how do you call this? Uh, oh. Dandaf. Dandarabja. Huh? Dandarabja. Uh-huh. this uh, Gobi Desert, you know. Mm. This uh, famous uh, Mahasiddha, crazy Lama. And then Mongolians, they say he was a, he was a Nyingmapa, he was a Dzogchen practitioner. But then when we went there, they are more practicing chut, you know. Yes. So we are wondering what kind of Nyingma practice he was doing. And then then this, uh, the museum, what, manager? He was, you know, we went to see his museum and we saw his uh, yurt, right? We saw his shrine room. His shrine room with the yurt. So we copy his yurt here now. <laughs> And uh, then this manager of the museum, you know, he's uh, opening some files in his computer. And uh, I just uh, like this, you know, I looked, I was curious what he's checking. I like this. <laughs> he was checking this uh, this uh, dark retreat uh, signs, you know, mm. in his uh, this old book. Then I told him, I know these images. I think he was very surprised. Like, yeah. this is our secret text. You know, how do you know this text? And of course, I, you know, kind of, how do you call it? Spied? Yeah, spied on his computer, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, he didn't want to show. I did a quick spy like this. I said, I know this text. <laughs> and he was kind of surprised. He said, how do you know? That moment, you have that book, right, Christiana? What year was that? 2015, 16, maybe. Mm. So then she actually, we had a book, you know, we published one book in Tibet. Mm. And one very famous Amdo Ngapa master who talks about uh, this Yangti, you know, the visions. And in his book, he wrote all the instructions and also. I like this. He's uh, he always says because he had many lay people. You know, his uh, students are not uh, uh, how do you say well studied people. You know, his uh, students are farmers and nomad, elderly people. You know, I think this. Uh, I like that old Ngapa tradition, right? You know, in the monasteries, they are well educated. You know, they are very systematic and everything in order and then Ngakpa community is kind of mess you know you know everybody's there it's very biodiversity you know <laughs> young ones and smart ones old ones and <laughs> non-smart all are mixed <laughs> so I think ancient time when they are teaching Dzogchen many probably many people they don't know how to read yeah sure but they don't know how to read that's very interesting you know so and then they just this Mahasiddha style, I think it works well, you know, give direct introductions. Maybe, you know, education in one way is good. Mm-hmm. You know, we learn, we study, like you see, I'm educated, I can write the stuff, yes. right? So, and then, um, then maybe the other hand, the education is a contamination too, you know, yeah. our mind contamination. Do you agree with that, Steve? I think it's certainly possible, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree? Maybe, right? Depends on education. 
what we call brainwash and education sometimes is the same you know exactly <laughs> or even not a brainwash it's a contamination right so once our mind is over contaminated by modern education i think sometimes it's hard to understand the dharma especially that's why it's actually difficult to work on them with over contaminated so anyway so this is the reason why i'm saying the signs are or drawing because ancient time the practitioners they are kind of illiterate you know they don't know how to read and write and then they see the just the drawings oh you know i was in the dark i saw this one that one you know so it's a very uh, illustrated right yeah. very very well illustrated uh, book you know and so i wrote one, one is that part and uh, then it's like uh, you know, in the dark retreat there are three kind of uh, levels you know what level you go and which level you reach and these things so i wrote that part and then the last part actually i mean my favorite part is the last part last part is kersel means how to remove the obstacles mm -hmm. okay so i think this in today this part is really missing you know and all spiritual practice can have side effect right I think, Steve, you interviewed Dr. Caroline about that. I did indeed, yes. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's uh, becoming a very common problem today, right? There are more and more practitioners, and the more practitioners, they want to practice more like a higher practices and more experiential practices, and maybe dark retreat, you know, if this... When I say it's very experiential, this ah, oh, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what I want, right? So I think, we, which which we can understand, right? Like you know, we do something and we want to see the result. You know, I this see. is good too. But then when once we are not ready, I think um, sometimes can be dangerous. So that's why we talk about this kersel, you know. The historical master, Kuntrul uh, Yundin Jamso, he wrote a commentary of this duck, uh, you know, the single uh, golden uh, syllable. In this, his text, it says, uh, actually, he says, uh, if the teacher have to be experienced how to work with the set effect, okay? So he says, actually, the dark retreat can trigger a lot of lung disturbances, you know, the, the channel disturbance or this and that. Actually, it's true, you know, it can cause visions and, you know, scary feelings. Some people, they get panic attack and this and that. So mostly we call it lung disorders. And today we can say, yeah, mental issues, you yes. know, psychological issues or, you know, panic attack and hallucination, right? And uh, dark retreat can become a base of psychosis Absolutely. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you are not kind of really ready and present, right? So that's why Kuntur Rinpoche says, uh, if somebody is good with how to treat the lung, you know, or you have experiences, and then it's good to instruct the dark retreat. So if you are not experienced it he says the lung can go really badly so i think that's true you know some it, it's possible some people to get uh, complete become psychosis you know because the visions are too strong too many visions and at the end you don't realize those are your visions right you think 
they are attacking you or they are chasing after you like a bad dream, like a nightmare. So that's why uh, this my favorite part is the kersel, you know, this how to eliminate obstacles. And uh, then end of this, my book, actually, I put the, this from so in the Yotonitic tradition, there is a whole chapter. It has 15 sections. It's talking all kind of um, um, mental, physical, and energetical disturbances, you know, according to Tibetan medicine. What kind of problems you can have during the meditation and visions, not only dark retreat, also other kind of meditations. And uh, so how to treat them, you know, with diet, lifestyle, external therapy, and medicine, and so on. Yeah, so that's about my book. And uh, yeah, sorry, your question is about my personal experience, yeah. and I try to put together. Yeah, you know the reason I wrote this uh, book in in Tibetan. Uh, actually, I give you a short one in English too, right? You did translation. That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he has one of my the first uh, the version of the dark retreat. That's more instructions. Mm -hmm. And then I thought. Uh, yeah, now we are kind of bring out the dark retreat, and so I authorized uh, Justin to teach and guide the dark retreat to people. And uh, so I thought it's good if we have a kind of solid uh, text, you know. Absolutely. So it, it, you know, then even spiritual practice, safety is important. Yeah, you know, health is always number one, right? So therefore, you know, I put all the things, and at the end, I put that. Uh, that subject. And then now you're studying Swarik Patus, so, which is great. Yeah, exactly. He's studying medicine. <laughs> <laughs> and I generally, I wish, you know, the most of the Buddhist centers and uh, maybe they have, I don't know, they have doctors, you know, Ayurvedic doctors or TCM doctors or Swaripa doctors or maybe, I don't know, psychologists. I think it's good if our spiritual tradition is more connected with the medical science, yeah. you know, then we are more the safe side, right? Yes. So that is actually one of the original Yutov's, uh, what do you say, one of his uh, main teaching. Of course, officially, he says uh, more than like 70 or 80% of his profession, Yutov's profession, he was a doctor. He said, as a doctor, I can help people directly, right? But then because of his uh, students, you know, they really want to have a Dharma practice too. So therefore, he gave them Yutonimti as a Dharma practice. But then again, he says, with Dharma practice, you can't escape from health, you know? You need this Kersel. Kersel means eliminating obstacles. So one entire... Um, chapter about that is it's really nice yeah really good and then in 15th century there was this uh, great masters was called uh, surkar nyamnyal dorje and uh, he was considered one of yuto's um, uh, reincarnation and he says when he was 10 years old he had a vision of yuto mm -hmm. and then yuto said now it's your time he said i want you to to check the four tantra, four medical tantra. He said there are some people, they add uh, extra commentaries, they messed up. 
<laughs> in the vision. You talk said that the my medical text is messed up by some old doctors. He said, please reclean it, you know, <laughs> to clean it. And then also he said uh, he had to give uh, teachings on Yutonin too. So that's why the Sukranyamya Dorji, he wrote a commentary of this uh, Kersel, Yutonin is a Kersel part. So all medical chapter mm. is becoming a big book, like 700 pages or something. So I, I hope in the in Buddhism in general, especially in the Tibetan Buddhist centers, you know, maybe studying everything is difficult, but you know, studying a little bit of partially, I think it's 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 very beneficial. Yeah, so. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we when just and he talked with you. He said, "Oh, we are going to have a dark retreat uh, uh, center, retreat center, dark retreat interview." You oh, said, "Yes, yes." This you one, said it will be what? Which one? Benefit the our conversation? Yeah, you texted me. You yeah, said, I said it would be beneficial for people. No, you said it will be fun. It will be fun. Well, that's two. <laughs> Bringing the two together. <laughs> <laughs> he said it will be fun. Yeah. I didn't like that word, fun. Oh, come on. I said it will be beneficial. <laughs> I tried to correct him and he didn't realize that. He write, oh, tomorrow is our interview. It will be fun. I said, oh, oh God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sometimes it's better I said direct. <laughs> so beneficial is, yeah, it's uh, you know, kind of, we try to open these uh, yeah. great uh, teachings and this. And uh, I'm really, my personally, I'm very happy we are opening this tradition. Yeah. It's not only the promoting the dark retreat part and also with the medical, you know, yeah, yeah. views about how to how to make the practices safe, right? Yeah. I think this is actually one of the main reasons why they say Vajrayana is secret, right? It's secret is not there something wrong. It's yes. a secret. It means uh, it need to be understood and practiced in a proper way, Absolutely. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Are. Just I mean, the next step with this project is continuing to set up. A dark retreat center where we can have people doing this in the safe way, right? In a supportive way. Um, you know, when I was talking, actually, yeah, actually, yeah, place uh, is a uh, place, it really matters, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> the Bhutan's travel council, this council, they say happiness is a place. Yes. <laughs> so, <real. laughs> happiness, I, I said, oh, it's, it's a kind of nice expression. Yeah. And then, of course, the place, I think it's very important. Now there are more and more people, they ask me dark retreat and this and that. I always telling them, you know, we need to have a professional place, yeah. right? <laughs> professional place means a safe place, you know, mm -hmm. right? With the uh, right conditions, which uh, also, you know, guided by somebody in case somebody goes uh, out of the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the head, this and that, you know. I saw some people, they went completely crazy because of 49 days of dark retreat. Okay. And this person was not uh, my student. You know, he's a student of very old Tibetan Lama. I know that old Tibetan Lama, 
he gave uh, dark retreat teachings very openly and uh, for me that person in my uh, medical understanding i thought he was not ready for dark retreat you know because he was already suffering from some mental issues he was already having some psychosis yeah. and some mental breakdown and this and that and then actually this is the problem you know when we don't have a place that you know you are kind of guarded and you are checked up you know if you have something then maybe we can tell them okay stop the retreat or this mm -hmm. i think we really need to take care of them in a carefully so this uh, this man i was thinking why this tibetan very very well known very experienced great master you know I thought, like, why he just give the dark retreat for this guy? And then he told him, okay, go to 49 days of retreat. Okay. Th th that's what this patient told me. I believe what he said. I, I believe in this story, you know. And then I was thinking, like, what was that kind of the main reason? You know, why happened so? And... Uh, you know, some people, they, they don't know this kind of practice is healthy for them or not, right? But then they have this kind of wish to do something very advanced, you know, like dark retreat or, you know, I've heard it's very powerful. I want to do something powerful, yes. you know, I need it. Oh, visionary, because I already have disturbing i don't know hallucination or something you know i want to get rid of these things maybe with dark retreat and then that's my my guess and then this guy he made a determination and went to meet this master and in a way he was able to convince that master to give him the teachings mm -hmm. of course once you receive teachings master said okay now if you can find a place you do it right and he was completely out, you know, when he came to me. He finished 49 days. I thought, uh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, the hallucination was too strong for him. He couldn't control anymore. It's out of control. It can be very dangerous. Yeah. Know? You know, again, uh, one of the things he said to me um, before, I think it was the 49-day retreat, that was really interesting and still is at the kind of fore of my mind with all of this. You asked, how much time do you have for integration afterwards? Yes, yes. And and I, I you know at the time, because of you know the way the world and life is, I, I didn't have I mean I had some time, but you told me, yeah, in Tibet, you know, maybe we would do three months. And this really opened up my eyes to to this particular thing. The importance of integration and care even after a retreat yes, yes so that you can um blend things take care of yourself you know and also bring the experience into everyday life and i think this is another reason why a focused you know professional stable place yes. to do these retreats is important yes. yeah yeah so that people can also have the support around integration before during after exactly mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. in a rush. And now, yeah, people, you know, they, 
they hear something. Sometimes I give, they ask me to give some talks. I give talks and then they Google and they find some place and they disappear somewhere. So then I was thinking is that that's not so good, you know? So yeah. that's why, yeah, hopefully we can find a professional, this young Tik yoga retreat. Right? Exactly. Yes, that's it. You have found the place. I've, uh, yeah, there's the place I'm looking at. I think right now we're just looking for the, uh, you know, we need, you know, financial support and the property. So we're working. So we have Steve. So Steve, if you want to give us <laughs> property. <laughs> but on a, no, seriously, um, you know, it's it, it actually we were talking about this not too long ago. And, you know, I think we both feel very confident in the project and the importance of it. And it will come. You know, it's just a matter of um, just listening. Yeah, actually, in the what Tantra says, five perfections. No, mm. in order to give the perfect teachings, we yes. need a perfect place, location. So that's why I think this kind of professional place is really important. Yeah, I think there are some dark retreat places, and then maybe I don't know. Few people they told me they went to Taoist dark retreat places. Mm. You know. Then maybe I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, it brought you and I together, right? You from Tibet, me from New, New Mexico. And it will bring it, you know, it will keep going the process. Mm -hmm. Eventually it will happen. Yeah. 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 So, my one of the main instructions for him is any moment you think is too much as it come out. Mm -hmm. You don't say it's your commitment. You have to finish 49 yes. days of this and that. I told him, don't force yourself when you feel pressure or you think something is not well, as it just come out. Yeah. So traditionally, we say, don't break the retreat. You know, don't break retreat means don't come out. <laughs> but in the dark retreat, if you feel it's too much or something like this, you should come out. You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah. Did you feel like you want to come out? No. No, it was, it was good. In fact, I didn't want to leave. Because I told you to come out, and that's why you didn't come out. <laughs> if I told him, you are not allowed to come out, maybe thinking, how should I get out? <laughs> no, yeah. it, was, it was good. But I, I, you know, you see a lot, and that can be overwhelming. Yes, yes, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a very deep uh, inner journey. And uh, I think uh, today we have so much. Um, it seems in our modern society, there are so much, uh, you know, people are looking for experiences, no? Mm -hmm. Experiences, uh, pleasure, new type of pleasure, experiences, new type of experiences, and then yeah i think the reason why the new drugs are coming because people want to have new experiences mm -hmm. right and then the drugs are stronger and they want to have stronger experiences yeah. you know so our humans are searching experiences and i think also maybe some people they don't have experiences once you don't have experiences then maybe you get bored and then maybe they don't continue right so in a way, it's nothing wrong, you know, 
to you want to have experiences and you really want to see and feel and you know you have new you know experiences but then when we search this in a superficially then we all run after substances right mm -hmm. you know there are so much of substance addictions right and then the substances they call it natural it's the semi synthetic and <laughs> you know it's the mushroom it's the animals it's the spider it's the frog and it's the you know it's a shamanic and this and that there's so many things so introducing the substances in our i think in our organism yeah in some tantric texts they talk about these things you know substances but they are only if you are kind of wanting to have some kind of experiences, right? Once you have one experiences, that's it. Then you should not repeat that again. If you repeat it again and again, then you get addicted to that kind of substances, right? And uh, But it's not saying you don't uh, do substances at all. You know, if you are searching kind of one experiences, then you do a substances, you have visions of trips or whatever mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. these things but you should not do one more than once right but if i think people they really want to do then they really should do like uh, how do you say firstly make sure you have a stable base you are very well grounded and then i think this kind of natural experiences you know the experience and visions from dark retreat they are very healthy right yes Yes, you can have experiences, you can have visions, but I think we should uh, talk about healthy visions and healthy experiences. Yeah. You yeah. know, right? And to uh, feel comfortable with the mind that has these experiences, which yes, is why yes, yeah. is so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Today there are different people, they are using the word of Zokpa Chimbo or Churchill. Mm -hmm. Mahamudra, or whatever they call, you know, non-dual meditation, and they do substances, right? Oh, when I take substances, then I'm that state, and then substances. My teacher told me I'm free from limit, you know. So, you know, substances can affect me. Of course, substances can affect you. That's why you're addicted to it, right? <laughs> but I think these things, we really should be careful. Yeah. So actually, these 10 different character, characteristics of dark retreat, it says dark retreat is very experiential, very visual, you know, very direct. It's not a talking blah, blahs. Actually, the things what you really see, right? Mm -hmm. When we go for a dream, we see a dream. And the dream is a vision, right? So the dream is a hallucination too. But even it's a hallucination, once you become lucid, you know it's your mental projection. So then you have that awareness. So dark retreat, you know, many people, they are saying, oh, dark retreat. But actually, dream is very similar. You know, there is no much different, right? But dark retreat, when you are meditating, then you are lucid, right? In the dream, we are not lucid. We have to become lucid, you know, right? So... Last night, actually, I had a, I, I had a very nice dream. I was wondering why today is special. <laughs> I saw a deep blue sky, 
and then the sunlight was very bright. And uh, then I thought it was the sun. I looked carefully, it was a moon, you know, like white circle, the white moon. Right in the sun, we cannot look. So in the moon, there was a perfect the yuto, you know, inside, yuto like this. He was smiling. Then I took a picture. <laughs> I said, oh, this picture, oh, I can show Christiana this one. <laughs> Yuto is in the moon. So, you know, this, it was the sun, but also it was the moon, right? So sun, moon. And then the light and the bright and the vision and the things. So it, it exactly sounded like dark retreat visions. Mm -hmm. So only the question is, you are becoming lucid or not. Mm -hmm. Once you become lucid, of course, sleeping in the night in the dark room, right? Eyes are closed and in the mm -hmm. dream is seeing that. So, yeah. Then I woke up, I said, oh, something special is coming today. Why today is special? So now I know why we are doing interview. I think so. It's very beneficial. I think so. And it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The hallucination, you know, the medical hallucination, I think that's a kind of very unhealthy, right? Mm. Unhealthy because it's harmful. And people are having hallucinations, they don't know how to control, they harm themselves or they harm somebody else, right? It's harmful. And uh, the visions or, yeah, when we are in the dark and, you know, our mind is producing the visions and this and that is coming from our head, right? So that is exactly called the tagal. But when you are meditating, you have 100% of awareness. You are lucid there, so you know, you know, you are seeing your own energy. Or actually in the Yutov's expression, it's called the yeshe monsem tatumpa. You know, Yeshe, the jhana, you are seeing your jhana directly and you experience directly. You're not just imagining or visualizing, you know, it's it's direct there, it's it's in front of you. Mm. Right? If you open your eyes in front of you, if you close your eyes, it's in front of you. It's it's in or it's out, it doesn't matter. Right. So free from the you know, free from the walls, right? Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yes, you want to say something? Yeah, I mean, I I think the uh, that experience also in my experience in dark retreat felt um, sometimes after the retreat it feels like a lot of stuff has burned off, like a lot of places of of holding on tightly. Um, you know, some of the like when we were at the beginning of the conversation talking about the. The hardness, right? Hardness of around identity, hardness around concept and all of this. And it feels sometimes like that is just burning off very naturally by experiencing um the spaciousness that almost as if you are in the middle of endless space. And of course, Rigpa is endless space. And so settling into this, um, this is something I would love one day for us to be able to study is the impact it has on um, almost a somatic impact, but also maybe even one day looking into this around um, all of the trauma and the stories and all of the hardness that we carry around with us. Um, 
I remember after the first seven day retreat, at the time I was working um, on Rikers Island, um, you know, for New York City Department of Correction. And I felt that several years of just the intensity of that work was almost burned away like a mist. Um, you know, I felt lighter and more spacious and more free, you know. And I think that um, this this offers, you know, it's an interesting counterpoint to what the contemporary human experience tends to be like now in, in the modern era, and mod especially the modern samsaric era. Um, so it's a very exciting time. And this is a very exciting book. And uh, and it's a beneficial book. It's a beneficial practice. And it's it, a fun book. <laughs> he said it was fun. I think it's beneficial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal practice. And how could people get in touch with you if they'd like to help bring this to pass? The center and the whole project you're describing. How should people best get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way to get in touch is to uh, email us or check out our website. Um, yeah, well, Yanti Yoga, what? Yantiyoga.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Yantiyoga.com. We already have a lot of online, um, you know, programs and um, and we're building, 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 you know, creating community, Sangha, this kind of thing. Um, and and a lot of people are interested and it's just really about um, waiting for the right causes and conditions to come together. And we welcome people to you know reach out and and learn more. Yeah, yeah. So my hope is, uh, or my wish is, uh, a place really kind of specialized, you know, right? Like specialized uh, retreat place. Maybe we don't need many rooms, but if there are even a few rooms, then people can come frequently. It's kind of really, really specialized yes. uh, place. You know, that uh, all facilities are there and also, you know, personal guide. And then, you know, dark retreat also, you cannot cook by yourself. You know, somebody's bringing the food and all the things. So that's the reason I give him the name Young Dig Yoga. Right? So it's really kind of focused and uh, like uh, specialized on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we welcome anybody who's curious to come, you know, check us out. Well, so thank I, you. I have some uh, text here from this Kuntrul uh, Yundin Jamsos um, uh, Young Tik, you know, the Dark Retreats, the commentary, G.D. Lumpton, the guidelines of the, the Dark Retreat. And uh, I, I like this part. And he says, um, this is the, the heart, the, the instruct, instruct, no, extract, extract of the Samanda Bhadra's heart. And this is uh, Vajradhara's uh, heart mirror. And this is Vajra Satwa's secret treasure. Mm. And this is the heart treasure of Garav Dorje. Mm. And the Panma Jonis, you know, Panma Samba was heart essence. 
And this is the heart blood of uh, enlightened Dakinis, mm. Jana Dakinis. And this cannot be translated by the expert of translators. <laughs> and if uh, Indians practice this, Indians get enlightened. If Chinese practice this, Chinese get enlightened. If Tibetans practice this, Tibetans get enlightened. And whoever practices, this will give you the liberation. This is the jewel of the liberation. So I like this expression. Now we have to add this. If Westerners practice this, <laughs> they get enlightened. If Africans practice this, they get enlightened. So when I was reading this, it's a very funny expression. So Indians practice, Indians get enlightened. So hopefully everybody get enlightened yes. with this practice. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you both. This has been such a fascinating discussion between the two of you. Thank you for being so generous with your time and sharing this, these uh, tremendous points. Dr. Nidhi Chenek Sang and uh, Lama Justin Van Boydash, thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you said you have many questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. But I think um, that was such a beautiful uh, <clears throat> ending. But I can keep going if you want. But <laughs> I have many, there's still many questions. For example, one of my questions was, you know, much is uh, said about uh, one has to be ready for this sort of a dark retreat practice. And this, this uh, fellow who you met went into a dark retreat and he came out the worse for it. And you yourself, as you mentioned, Dr. Nida, uh, your first retreat, you thought you were ready, you were confident, you know, a potent young meditator, and you met the, the serpent vision and you left your retreat and so on. So you've talked about that, how it's important to be ready. And I wondered how it was you determined that, that Justin was ready. Well, I told him, you know, to do the seven days first, and then I interviewed him. I think also seven days. Mm -hmm. I said, if you felt too much, you should come out, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But Justin, I know, you know, he was trained in Mahamudra, and then he joined also Mirror of Light. And uh, of course, as a teacher and student relationship, you know, you should have some confidence in the student too, right? Mm. So you are feeling and this and that. But uh, I thought maybe the first time 49 days was a little bit too much. So that's why I said, yeah, we'd let do the gradual way. Yeah, mm -hmm. so seven days. And then after maybe two weeks, I went into the 49 days after that. Yeah. Yeah. But now I think in the West, maybe we should not do too much this Mahasiddha style. You know? Yeah. Mahasiddha style, you know, you have to confront all your, uh, how do you say, difficulties and this and that, right? So I think this Mahasiddha style of the retreat to forcing people to stay inside, mm -hmm. you know, and to finish and to giving a very strong condition, this and that, I think maybe 
maybe in in our modern time maybe people are not ready you know yeah because already the the nature of our life is a stress and pressure you know yeah and stress of life and work and you know relationship we are over already stressed right mm -hmm. and then work pressure and there are so many financial pressure so many pressures and stress there if we are adding the spiritual pressure as an extra, mm -hmm. this maybe not that healthy. You know, recently I'm thinking more and more of this too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It it feels like anywhere between one day and three days is a good place to start for people, and then slowly, slowly build from there. Rather, I mean, I you know, I mean, Dr. Nita's point about. Um, and the point that you bring up, Steve, about this person who was very, very destabilized from the practice is um, it's a good uh, reason to keep in mind the fact that, yes, we all want this kind of awakening experience, but at what cost, right? And and so to, to you know, build the stable base as we go means going in a, in a much more titrated way, I think, is, is most skillful. And of course, if somebody's very, very prepared and they do a one day one and it's very easy, that's good. And a three day one and it's very, very easy, that's good. But better to start, you know, slow. Um uh just so that people have the support that they need. Yeah, actually it's interesting. When you talk, you know, the people if they want to do the dark retreat or this when I ask them, oh, maybe you should do mundra. I call it a mondo reaction. This oh, mondo no, it's too much, too hard, you know. I'm or I'm advanced than this and that. Then I see there is something wrong. <laughs> I call it a mondo reaction, you know. Some people uh, they have kind of this kind of rejection. Oh, mondo is very tough, you know. You sit, you chant, you do prostration. Like some people, this oh, it's too basic mm -hmm. preliminary practice or. I've already done that. Yeah, I already done that. You know, I'm like advanced. I'm not a mundo practitioner. Then normally I'd be careful. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this this actually this some simple questions actually it really tells the the quality of that practitioner. You know, in Tibet we know the Patil Rinpoche was a highly qualified jokpa chembo or mahamudra practitioner and he did uh, this classical mundra for more than 25 times it means every year six months of mundra retreat and he repeat that 25 years it's it's a lot you know so and the founder of the jikung kajul the chopa sumgun he says uh, he says, actually, if you really understand, the mondo is more profound than the actual other practices. Mm -hmm. You know, I can understand these very simple teachings. I can understand when the, what do you say? Uh, the people's, uh, the readiness or their foundation, right? Readiness and foundation. I know some people, they are mentally very strong. They don't have much emotional issues. Maybe they can handle dark retreat, you know. They are not scared or they don't have problems. That's this. But then also when you come out from dark retreat, so you don't see your ego is developing, mm -hmm. right? 
you know, your personality, oh, I have done the dark retreat and 49s and I'm this and I, I, some people simply get lost in I. Mm -hmm. So that is a bad side effect too. So yeah, normally that's why when people ask me, sometimes even I just tell people in a joke where I said, oh, maybe you should repeat the mundra again. So they are, from their answer, I understand what is their level. And when they say, me again, Mondro, <laughs> then I think, yes, exactly. You need Mondro. <laughs> you need to be tamed by Mondro, preliminary practices. And some of them, they say, oh, I love Mondro. I want to repeat it again and this and that. I know they are kind of humble, ready, good base and so on, you know, right? And then, so Mondro is like my kind of first... Uh, question and um, then the second question is kind of other practices you know like guru yoga or deity yoga then some people are having trust issues then they don't like the idea of guru yoga oh guru yoga you know maybe guru stories and this and that and then again it's a it's a how do you say trusting issue and mental issue too and uh, then the deity yoga, oh, it's too complicated. I don't like uh, complications, you know. Mm -hmm. I just want to have the fast and the simple one, you know, the fast, the simple, and cheap. So then that for me, then I see a quality from that person too, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, mostly to check somebody's... Uh, somebody's readiness or foundation. Normally for my way of doing is I go very, very simple questions. You know, Mondo, Guru Yoga, Deity Yoga, then their answers more or less like my way of understanding, I can understand. <clears throat> I, I often say about the Mondo, the preliminary practice, it's almost like in our life is like a, our childhood education. Right. So in the Western psychology is saying that childhood sec, uh, the childhood education and uh, makes who you are later when you become adult, right? That's that that defines you, you know, that shapes who you are. I think in spiritual practice, something like that, especially in Vajrayana. And uh, if the Mondo practice, the quality of Mondo practice really shapes, you know, what kind of practitioner you are in later, you know, mm -hmm. right? So that's why when people are having Mondo reactions, maybe those people are similar, you know, childhood traumatized people, mm -hmm. right? And then maybe they need to work a little bit on their trauma and this and that, and then you do other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I try to compare these two things. It seems, yeah, this, uh, this, uh, this is more like more or less it works, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, but then I have another problem. My problem is uh, trusting in other people too much. <laughs> you know, I like to help people. I like to uh, how do you say? Encourage people. Encourage. Encourage, encourage people and support them because, uh, yeah, I see potential and goodness and kindness and uh, positive energy, power in everybody, you know. 
So maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> Sometimes for I tell people, okay, do retreat, or do do this and this and that. And then some close people they are telling me, oh, you have to slow down. Maybe you don't tell everybody to do this and that. Sometimes I think they have uh how do you say they, yeah, the people they have reasons too, you know. Right. Maybe I have this uh, kind of positive way of seeing about the practitioners and uh, this. And because I I know that some other teachers, you know, maybe they have opposite, right? <laughs> They're saying, okay, you can never receive the teachings, dark retreat, maybe only next life, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dummo is too, too high for you. You cannot practice Dummo, you mm-hmm. know. Maybe you wait for next life or another life, or so you purify your karma whole life, this... I think this is a little bit maybe extreme way, you know, discouraging people, right? So I think we need to find a balance. Yeah, we need to find a balance. So I, I'm trying to work in, in myself too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm curious, um, you said that Ngundro can shape the sort of practitioner you become. I'm curious what what uh, that shape is. Because actually, Ngonjo, when we talk about uh, refuge, you know, you find, uh, you find uh, the your direction, right? So, for example, there is a research, it says, uh, you know, today many people, they say, I'm spiritual, but not religious, right? There are lots of movements like that. And... Uh, so the expression, yes, I'm spiritual, not religious. And then, of course, the religions, they have a problem. And that's why people are scared to say they are religious or this. But that uh, research says most of people, they say I'm spiritual, but not religious. Most of, most of them, they have some mental issues. Have you heard about that? Yes, actually, I have. Exactly. <laughs> So I think uh, that is the thing, you know, we we have like we have a fear to be called by or oh, you are religious or you are Buddhist or you are this and that. You know, I know these things, too. People say, oh, I'm not Buddhist, but I want to do dark retreat. I say, OK, you know, you can maybe work a little bit, you know, what Buddhist is, right? If you say, OK, I don't want I want to be very selective, this and that, I think maybe there is something wrong. It's not uh, becoming a Buddhist, you become religious, but becoming a Buddhist, you see clearly what your path is, mm-hmm. right? You become fearless. If you are labeled somebody calling you a Buddhist, you are religious, maybe you are able to accept, okay, if you think about this for me, you know, I don't need to argue, I don't need to prove that I'm, uh, you know, good or this and that. Do do you get that point? So that's why I think the taking refuge thing is like a, it's a clear, it's it's a defining your direction, and also it's becoming clear something for you, coming out from your confusions, right? What does it mean you are spiritual but not religious? You know, right? It's a nice word, actually. Do you realize when you say this? You know, there are so many things going going on in your head and mostly is the fear mm-hmm. right you don't want to be labeled right so if you have this kind of fear it's good you work on it you know and uh, you work on it and then 
and also the way how you understand about the Buddha Dharma Sangha. You see as a doctor, medicine, nurse, or you see as a, your own aspect there, you know, the outer refugee, inner refugee, secret refugee, there are different layers. I think this can help you to relax, you know, that the re taking refuge, it help you to relax about uh, this, uh, I don't know, religious fear or, mm -hmm. or the spiritual craziness. Exactly. It, it's kind of finding a balance, right? But then if you take a refuge, it's something for you yourself. You don't need to say, oh, I'm officially, now I'm officially a Buddhist. <laughs> you know, this and that, right? You don't need to fear other people, how they label you. And also you should not label yourself to saying, now I belongs to this and that. If you really understand the, the refuge, is you see the your path in a clearly and also with a secure right you know you you are not starting something with insecurity and you are not feeling unsafe right you just make sure work on these things so the, the refuge right and then also the foreign measurables when you talk about foreign measurables bodhicittas of course, it's a Buddhist way of expressed, but that that makes us more human, right? That makes us more human, more connections. So, what humans we are looking for, and what we are looking for joy and happiness. What really makes us happy? What is the goal of this uh, happiness? How to find it? We can happiness mostly we can find through the connections, right? And then what is the, the connection? Is the connection the fear make us connect with others better? Anger make us connect with others better? Jealousy does it? Confusion? Which one makes the best connection, right? With ourselves and with others? Kindness and love and, you know, the, to equanimity. And this for immeasurable is really kind of... Uh, they have a power for opening your heart and being connected, right? And then, so I think for a measurable really reminds us who we are, you know, like the basic human nature, right? And now the the scientifically saying the, the basic human nature is the kindness, you know, love each other. We see this from the kids, right? When kids, before they get brainwashed, you know, they don't care about their colors. They don't care about their social status and family, rich or wealth or poor and this and that. They just want to get together and they play and they, they share each other and this and that. Of course, there may be some disturbances too, but mostly when kids get together, they just want to play together. And they try to be kind to each other. You know, I think this kind of human nature we kind of lost because of uh, you know indi individualistic ideas right for immeasurables i think it's bring back about the meaning of connection meaning of uh, you know uh, like this collective energy and so on right and then when we say vajra sattva okay i need to work with myself and like you are talking about uh, trauma and healing this so then Vajrasattva is not saying now, like you are the Vajrasattva, you are using the Vajrasattva and you try to remember 
you know, what kind of negative karma, or negative accumulation you have, what traumas you have, what dramas you hold. You clean, you wash yourself. You work on yourself, right? Vajrasattva is very much working on ourselves, you know. Then prostration is a physical, you know, Vajrasattva is like a working emotional or energetical cleaning. Prostration and circumambulation is a physical purging, physical, you know, uh, exercise. I think those are, we are doing all for ourselves, you know. It's starting with the eye, right? Starting with the eye. And then this eye is has a good direction. This eye make a good connection. This eye is kind of purified. This eye is working with ourselves. And mandala offering, this eye is generous too, right? So then the kusali, this eye is letting yourself go, you know. At end, our most powerful attachment is our own body. And we just were able to let our body go as an offering or as a nectar, whatever, right? So I think if you really think about the base of the mondo, it's lots of the working on ourselves. How do you call it? Self-work? <laughs> self-work, self-improvement. Yeah, self-work and self-improvement. So if you really understand those meanings, if you do it and then spiritually you are kind of changed and transformed, and then it's building a very healthy base for other type of spiritual practices, right? Otherwise, you know, without a stable mundo base, you think, okay, now I'm doing the deity yoga. I'm the deity, I'm mm -hmm. special, you know. <laughs> Others are not the deities. But if your heart is trained with bodhicitta, what you see in yourself is you see in others too. So if you are the deities, others are deities too. You respect yourself and you respect other deities too, right? So I think many things, once you have that base and then goes, you know, and then the meditation or whatever you do is kind of, in a, you are in a healthy base, you know, right? And also before you do the Mundo retreat, you have this, uh, um, the four uh, thoughts that changing your mind, right? You think about impermanent, <clears throat> you think about uh, preciousness of human life and impermanent and difficulties of life and um, the causality, cause and effect. So these things, it's a Buddhist way is explained, but we even we don't need to say it's a Buddhist way. It's, <laughs> it's the human logic, right? To how to see around ourselves and our lives in a little bit uh, different way, more insightfully. So I think that's why uh, yeah, mundra, the common mundra, uncommon mundra, they have a very, it, you know, there's a really big value, yeah. It's building a big foundation. Perhaps my last question to you then. As you're talking there, I'm thinking uh, you're drawing out these themes and these attitudes of practitioners. And I think of two, perhaps, uh, extremes. On the one hand, somebody who's very desperate to get enlightened or to progress. So much so, in fact, that they're always thinking of the next thing. I'll do my Ngundro so I can get the initiation, and I'll do my Kirim so I can do my Tsokrim. I'm always looking for the next thing with that hunger for enlightenment. On the other hand, there's a person perhaps who thinks, no, 
I'm going to simply do whatever practice I'm doing. I'll just do that practice. But in a way, that can also be a little bit stagnant. There can be a sense of going through the motions. There isn't energy there. Uh, there's a sense of stagnation. Mundro, I think, is a famous place of stagnation, actually. <laughs> People say, I'm still doing my Nundra. You know, a few prostrations and, in a way, kind of giving up. Even if the practice forms are continuing. I wonder if you recognize those, those two, I suppose, extremes. Perhaps they're just in my own imagination, but... Um, and what advice do you have? It's not your imagination, it's true. I call it the Nundra trauma. Mm -hmm. Okay, so many people are kind of traumatized. Oh, I'm not finishing 100,000 of prostration. <laughs> I'm not finishing this. Mm -hmm. And I'm struggling. My life is so busy, this and that. I really see that like a spiritual trauma. Okay. So that's why um, what I like uh, Mondro, especially you're turning to the Mondro is seven days of practice. Okay, seven days. You know, when I say seven days of Mondra, and then people say, oh, you know, Nida is creating a new mm -hmm. easy style and this and that. You know, <laughs> when I wrote uh, Karma Mudra Joy, this, oh, you know, sex sells, and, you know, he wrote a book about sex and this and that. So I, I thought it's good, you know, what people say, criticisms, this and that. But then also, my answer is not to saying, oh, you know, to prove myself, blah, blah, this way. So this is the reason, for example, that the things why the, I write in the Tibetan, you know, these uh, commentaries in Tibetan. So, yeah, if uh, you want to criticize me, what I said is what I said or something traditional, you read my book, mm. you know. So I don't I don't get lost in translations. I write in Tibetan directly, and you read the Tibetan, and you ask me this, we can debate, or we can discuss. You know, so that's why for me the keeping the authentic practice is very important. You know, and then I thought for me, my personally, to something bring out authentically, only way is to put in Tibetan. <laughs> so that's why I'm serious about the uh, Mahamudra. Karma Mudra, Ati Yoga, Dark Retreat. So I finished this in Tibetan, so I'm really happy about this, right? But then I think what Yutov said in the 12th century, he said the future people get busier and lazier and they are less courageous about spiritual practice, which is true, you know. Mm -hmm. There's one word, it's a kind of funny. He says, uh, future people, they, they see a spiritual, very thick book. You know what they do? They escape. <laughs> it's all this is too much for me to escape it's so true so that's why also the classical mundra is for six months for us as lay people you know to find that six months to do a solitary retreat or a little bit of everyday lots of commitment that's why i'm saying spiritual stress you know mm -hmm. spiritual pressure it's a little bit too much but uh, seven days, normally when I say Mondro, I'm talking about seven days of Mondro, you know. If you think, okay, seven days, I don't find the time, or Mondro is not for me, then, you know. If you say, if somebody says, oh, I can't do six months of Mondro, I can understand. Yes, you cannot do six months of Mondro. This is realistic, right? You cannot take six day, six months of off, you know or doing a little bit every day and the people are feeling lots of pressures and so on. But what I think is seven days, 
what I suggest is seven days you do, if you are completely new, seven days you do this mondra in a group, then you know how to do this practice. And then another seven days you do by yourself. So, and the group experience and your own experience is a little bit different, right? Group, you know, you are supported by the teacher, you know, collective energy, collective experiences. But when you do the individual by yourself, it's your personal experiences and so on. So that's why normally I suggest them to do two mundos, one in the group to make sure how you do it and one do it by yourself. Yeah, and, you know, one thing I've also noticed just in a in little bit, you know, the beginning of my setting, so Rigpa is um, this thing about um, how a good doctor listens to people, right? And listens to people, asks them lots of questions about their life and how are you doing? What's it, what's your practice like? What's your family-like life? How's your body feeling? What's your diet like? And I think that practitioners would benefit from asking themselves internal questions. Why am I in such a rush? You know, if I'm if I'm headed towards the Zogrim and I, I'm doing Nindra now and I can't wait to do the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing so that I can grab you know, the, the you know, completion, you need to ask yourself, you know, why, you know, and, and it's through contemplation, through introspection, um, you know, there's this expression, um, practice slowly arrive quickly. Right? And, and, and these kinds of uh, elements of giving ourselves some time to slow down feels very counterintuitive, especially in places like the United States where we are so fast and we think, oh, you know, I'll just grab it. But the more we are able to ask ourselves these questions, and similarly for the person who is finding themselves in a stagnant place, being overly humble, maybe almost to a fault, asking questions around, you know, what is my experience like? Why am I experiencing blockages? What do I really need and, and really, really listen? I think most people will kind of naturally course correct, uh, you know, if they can have this much more subtle blended relationship to practice and not treat it like a, a product, you know? So I, I think, you know, just like what Genla said about, um, I mean, you know, this is this is kind of this union of, of a, Tibetan medical approach and spiritual practice, creating a really integrated way of practicing, which I think is really profound, but it, it requires that people actually sit down and listen to themselves and ask themselves questions yeah, yeah. and be uncomfortable sometimes. Oh, maybe I should do Nundro again because I'm so full of all this pride, like, you know, excessive pride about, oh, I'm doing this, you know, or, um, or maybe I, I've done Nundro 10 times, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm good enough to keep to go to the next thing and the next Yeah, thing. I think sometimes it's not only the student's issue. No? Mm. Teacher says, okay, you do Nundro, then I'll give you teaching. Mm -hmm. They do it, you know, wishing to get <laughs> next yeah. teaching. And then maybe teacher, you are not ready to do it again. So that that's what I was saying. You know, so maybe some teachers, they are always doubting in the capacity of students. Yeah, you know, maybe they are kind, you know, but they want to give. They always see, make they're not ready. They are not ready, and then instead of like asking or analyzing, you know, why they are not ready, maybe they need more, yeah, psychological works too. You know, mm -hmm. like you are mm -hmm. saying, analyzing the things. But then, just seeing in traditional way, you know, the 
the poor disciples, they did three times of that, you know, like 100,000 of the practices and gonjo, and now they are kind of really ready, you know, the one wantingness, this and that. And maybe teacher says, oh, no, you know, still there too much this grasping this and that okay you're not ready again and then i think yeah that's why we need to find the balance or the communication between the the, uh, the teacher and students i think it have to be clear too we need to find the balance between two right you know when you are asking this question i know many people are there saying oh i did this uh, Jerem and my teacher said, you know, I will receive Tummo, but I never received Tummo. And then they get really disappointed, right? And then even they get depressed, you know, because then you see actually the basis, why you did so strongly the mantra, your goal is you want to receive Tummo. Mm -hmm. But then teacher says you are still not ready and then they get disappointed and then maybe even they get depressed, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think maybe teachers also need to communicating a little bit differently that's what i'm saying you know as a teacher some teachers they say oh it's a secret teaching we cannot share like this but if you finish one draw i can share how oh, you finished but you're still not ready right maybe instead of helping to the student to work on themselves to do something and you just say okay repeat one draw again and again I think in the traditionally Gondro is a psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but today people they don't see Gondro as a psychotherapy. Maybe they need the modern style of psychotherapy yeah. too, right? And then again, the ones uh, rushing, you know, I want to get enlightened, you know, give me the strongest mantra, give me the most powerful meditation. But normally those people they are escaping from reality. You know, this is a this is a psychological issue. They are escaping reality, and most of the people they come like this. I know there's something wrong in their life, right? Mm -hmm. They want to prove their parents that they are good enough. They want to prove their friends that they are these ones. And you know, it's it's a escaping from something in their life, and they really want to kind of uh, prove themselves in my life i'm a loser but in spiritual practice i'm a winner you know i'm this and that so you see there's uh, we have to find uh, the spiritual and psychological balance but normally the one you are saying and rushing and rushing okay you know even it's this i take time and i do retreat i want next one next one they are i think the escapers from real life mm -hmm. But for them, it, they can realize that something is happening for themselves, right? And and maybe with practice, if they realize something is wrong with their self and they try to deal with that first, and then they come back into the practice and they do the practices. So that's why I think these things, we need a more, how do you say, clear understanding. Maybe individual cases are different too, you know, right? Some people, they are very precise, professionist. Professionist, they can get stuck too, right? Oh, I did uh, prostration 50,000, but uh, 10,000 I did with destruction. So I need to do redo them again, you know? <laughs> if you are professionist, you get stuck there too. But then if a teacher says, okay, it's okay, you know, you did the numbers, they say, oh, no, 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 number is not the thing. I need to have the quality too. So they have the reasons too, right? So that's why I think we need to find a balance. But at the end, the understanding, the communication between 
teacher and disciples are important, yeah. It, it's, it's a fixable. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> thank you both very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.